0: Well, Welcome to Mansfield Bible Church. We're glad that you're here this morning on this uh, a, a, a holiday week. I, I uh, hesitate to say holiday weekend because it's right in the middle of the week, right? And so it impacts probably the first part of the week, the last part of the week. And so uh, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, as we continue this series about honoring others, I call it a life of sacrifice, but as we honor others... We've talked about this idea of honoring. We started out in Memorial Day or actually with our student recognition service and we recognize our seniors as they graduate among us and, and recognize our students in the ministry that God's doing there. And then we honored those who had uh, died for our country on and, and Memorial Day and we thought about this, this whole idea of honoring them and honoring their sacrifice that they made for you and me that we'd have the freedoms that we have. And then we honored our mothers, and then we talked about honoring the Lord, and then honoring our fathers. And as I was thinking about all this idea of honoring, there's something that has to happen in this process. There's something that has to kind of go away. And that is, we have to get over ourselves That really hit me this week as I thought about the fact that in order to honor other people, I have to get over myself. I have to get over me. I have to get over focus on me. And everything kind of pushes me in the direction of focus on me, right? Up on you. We have social media. What do we post? We don't usually post, unless you post cat pictures. Usually the stuff is about you and your family and what you're doing and what you're eating and where you are. And everybody else is looking in jealousy at where you are and what you're eating. And, 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 and we have a lot of these pictures, right? You know, take a picture of us with everybody else and these, what we call, what, selfies? There's a reason why it's about self. And, in fact, I heard somebody recently, a speaker, uh, was talking about this issue of social media. And he called it self-worship. And I was like, wow, that's kind of strong, isn't it? I mean, self-worship, really? And I started thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know, if we put a scale uh, in front of you, on this side of the scale, me, or us, and on this side of the scale, others, where would you fall on this scale? Would it peg out on this side of the scale? Would it be just kind of barely off of that side? Is it somewhere in the middle? I mean, most of us say, oh, but pastor, I'm over here. It's not just about, I'm about others with my life, and it's like, oh, really? So what's your first thought in the morning when you wake up? Grumpy? Grumpy? <laughs> Man, you're thinking about your day, right? And you're thinking about what you have to do and, and you're thinking about how you feel and, and you get up and, you, and then you look at yourself in the mirror and, 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 and then you're, you know, uh, you know, doing stuff to your face and to your mouth and, you know, trying to make yourself hygienically better and, and I'm glad you do that. I'm just saying. <laughs> but do we ever kind of really ever move off of that and we go in and get breakfast and, and so we talk to our spouse, hey, where's breakfast? And not thinking about the fact that maybe we could provide breakfast or we could, you know, and it's just like we go through our day and we get to work and we're, we're thinking about what other people can do to make our jobs better and our life easier and, 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 and we find ourselves probably more toward this size than we'd like to admit. And so I think that today's message is about this me meter is what I call it. Where are we on the me meter and how do we somehow move more this direction? I think in past when I've talked about thinking of others, you know, the, the application is, okay, so spend the rest of your life thinking about others. And I think that's not realistic for most of us, right? If we could just move from here to here, we're probably doing Great. And then next time, maybe we keep moving in that direction, but it's how do we move away from that? And, and you think, what do I think about when I walk into a room? Are we very self-conscious? Are we thinking about, man, I, I hope this person doesn't talk to me or I hope I, I have something intelligent to say to that person or I, I, I wonder if this person, you know, they, they, they ignored me or, or they snubbed me. Or And we, I think we still think about ourselves a lot. when We walk in the door. In fact, here's the application of this message. I'll talk about it at the end again if I remember. And that is, every time you walk through a door frame, every door frame you walk through, I want you to ask yourself one question. And that is, what can I do for the people or the person on the other side of that door? That'll change you. That'll completely change you. Because I think that when we typically walk through a door frame, we're thinking about what can they do for me or what uh, uh, we're self-conscious or whatever, and it's still about us. I think if we begin to think when we walk through every single doorframe, whether it's at work or whether it's at somebody else's house or whether wherever it is, I think it'll change us. I think we'll be more confident when we walk through that doorframe thinking, God, who is the person that you want me to touch today? Who is it the one that you want me to ask uh, and help today? And I'm not going to walk through the doorframe going, ta-da, here I am. I'm going to walk through the doorframe saying, ah, there you are. There's the person I was supposed to minister to. And so I I think that as we think about this issue of honoring others, I think we've got to get over ourselves. And then the question is, well, how do I do that? In fact, uh, in Proverbs, it tells us that we, I shared this verse last week. It is not good to eat much honey, because that'll give you a tummy ache, right? Nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. And so we are not supposed to seek our own honor. In this whole series on honoring others, we've got the one anti-honor message, right? This one anti-honor. We're not honoring ourselves. We don't go into a place honoring ourselves. Uh, We let other people, if there's going to be any honoring happening, it needs to be other people honoring us. And so, uh, in fact, Jesus says that. He says, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. So somebody else is honoring you. You're not honoring yourself. That's the perspective Christ wants us to have. And so, how do we do that? We've got to evaluate what, is, what are those things that drives us away from this idea of humility. And by the way, just a definition of humility. Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's not looking at yourself. It's looking at others. That's what The, the ultimate definition of humility is not the person that's kind of hanging their head going, oh, yeah, you know, I'm nobody. No, the person that's the most humble is the one who just doesn't talk about themselves, doesn't make life about themselves, that makes life about you. The most humble person is the one asking you questions, and, 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 you, and they engage you in conversation. You go away going, that is a great person. And then you realize, they didn't say anything about themselves. I know nothing about them, except that they ask questions, and they engage me in conversation. They got me to talking. And you realize, wow, that's incredible. A very selfless conversation rather than a selfish one. And so I think, what drives me away from humility? And one of the things that I thought, I was trying to think of things that drive me away from this humble lifestyle. Because if we get into this passage, we're going to talk about humility. What are the things that drive me away from it? I think one of those things, and it's kind of an interesting, it was a statement that came to mind. I had to think about it and process it. And here's the statement. I'm going to just throw it out there. Just be yourself. What if I'm a jerk? (laughs) just be yourself, okay, I'll be a jerk to the glory of God, you know, <laughs> I mean, we think about that, you think, what if, you know, what if I'm, uh, what if, I mean, you just think about all these different things, what if I say, you know, i I'm just, you know, I, I would treat you kindly, but I'm just not merciful, and you kind of go, oh, really, so they, they, that's just your excuse, it's just, it's just the way I am, I'm not a merciful person. Yeah, but scripture in, in Luke 6.36 says, Jesus says, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. So which one's it going to be? You kind of go, oops. You uh, know. And and so we, we've got to think about what does it mean just be yourself? If it means be the person God made you to be, then yeah, okay. But if it means just be this unsavory character, and I have an excuse for that, then obviously that can move me away from humility. And it causes me also just to think about myself. And so I've got to stop thinking about myself. I've got to move away from this narcissistic life and even narcissistic Christianity where everything surrounds and evolves around me. That's where I move in humility. Here's another thing that I thought kind of drives me away from hum- uh, humble... Deal, And that is, have you ever dreamed that you're the one making the winning shot, the winning goal, the winning, you know, uh, touchdown or whatever in, in sports? Or maybe you're the person who saved people's lives and, and you kind of dream that and you kind of go, wow, that would be incredible. Have you ever had those kind of dreams? I bet if I ask for a show of hands, almost every one of us had some sort of I'm the hero kind of dream, right? I think that's why there's 22 uh, 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 of the... Of the uh, uh, Avenger movies, because we like heroes, right? And we'd love to be one of those. And we kind of dream of ourselves. And, you know, that's kind of a very focused on ourself kind of thing, isn't it? And yet it would be a good thing if, but you look at that and you wrestle with that. And, and I was thinking about that, you know, how we want to do these incredible things. And, and the reality is, is most of the biggest things that we accomplish in our lives, the very biggest things happen. When we think we're on our way to the biggest thing in our life, there's an elementary school in Arlington named Dean Corey Elementary. How many of you are familiar with Dean Corey Elementary? Some of y'all, how many of y'all actually went to Dean Corey Elementary? Hey, I see that hand. Yeah, uh, uh, the buses will wait. No, I'm sorry. Um, You know, you think about that Dean Corey Elementary, a lot of you probably don't know who Dean Corey is. He was a band director at Arlington High School for a lot of years. And then he became the music supervisor. He was the music supervisor in Arlington when I was looking for a job. As an Arlington, or as as an orchestra teacher. And I went and interviewed with a lot of different school districts in Mesquite and Plano and others. And Arlington was one of the places. And Dean Corey gave me a job. Dean Corey hired me. Normal, typical, just... Run-of-the-mill day, right? Hires this person and and fills a position. In the course of life, not seemingly very significant. And yet, because I was hired in Arlington, and he assigned me to Ferguson Junior High, I met Susan. And we got married. And because I met Susan and we got married, because Dean Corey hired me, then... Bradley exists, my son, exists because Dean Corey hired me. And because Dean Corey hired me, I went to Pantego Bible Church and I met some guys that I highly respected and they had graduated from Dallas Seminary and I decided I wanted to go to Dallas Seminary. So I quit that job and went to Dallas Seminary. And while I was still going to Pantego, when I graduated from Dallas Seminary, my pastor and, and, a, and a group of people there decided they wanted to hire me to start a church, Mansfield Bible Church. Mansfield Bible Church exists because Dean Corey hired me in the course of normal course of, 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 a, of a week for him. And it was transforming in so many different ways. And we think some of the most significant things we do happen while we're on the way to what we think are the significant things we're going to do with our life, the hero events which never seem to really materialize as much as we think they're going to. And sometimes God pulls back the curtain and lets us see, here's what I'm doing. And we go, oh, wow, not at all what I thought. God wants to use us in a mighty way, but it's not going to be when we're trying to look for those hero events. It's when we just simply abide in Christ. That's what he says is going to produce much. It says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Just the normal course of our Christian lives while we're loving on people, while we're being kind to people, while we're reaching out to people, while we're sharing our faith. Lives are transformed all around us and we don't even realize it. In the normal course of life. And it's just that humility of recognizing that our lives depend on those around us. You all have your Dean Corries in your life, those people who have made an impact. And I remember last week we talked about honoring those and you stand on the shoulders. We stand on the shoulders of those around us. We stand on the shoulders of way more than we think. I stand on the shoulders of all those who have gone before me who have learned Greek and have translated the Bible into English so that I can read it in English and I stand on the shoulders of those who died as martyrs because they wanted to translate the scriptures into English and it was not acceptable at that time and they were burned at the stake and they were killed. And I stand on the shoulders of those on the simple thing of a Bible that I have in front of me. Man, those words are more precious to me when I think about how many died and lived and worked hard and studied so that I simply could have the truth of God. Wow. And so when we think about this issue of humility, we've got to move away from self. Move away from, the, from those who take and don't give. Move away from those who try to control those around us. Move away from trying to manipulate people because of my own fears. The, to move away from those uh, being unaware of those around me. Texting on your phone whenever you're sitting at a traffic light and hearing that, because eh, the light changed a couple of minutes ago, right? That we are aware of people when we're standing and blocking a hallway. I mean, just being aware of what God is doing in and around us. Moving towards humility by not just choosing to work alone, but to work with other people. Our technology kind of moves us to isolation. We used to have more people around us whenever we were working, and now it's, it's, you can do a lot of what you do on your computer in the confines of your own home or at a different location. And so you think about how all those things move us away from a truly humble lifestyle. Yeah, there's a place for love of self. There's a place for time alone. But there's also a place to move together. And humility moves us away from isolation. I want us to look at this passage together in Philippians chapter 2. A great passage on humility. On others central. We're going to read the first passage. Four verses. Philippians 2, 1 to 4. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not uh, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So as we start in this passage, one of the things that you'll note is the very uh, early on, the word if is in the passage. The word if. The word if In the Greek, in in the English, you don't know what the mind of the author is. If conditional, if probability, if I agree with it, if don't agree with it. I mean, we don't know. But in the original language that this was written in, the New Testament was written in in Greek, when you see if and then, and you look at the grammatical structure, you know exactly what the mind of the author is. And in this case, when he says if, he means I believe it to be true. I am certain that this is true. So he makes four statements that he believes are certainties. Not conditional, not if, not uncertain, but these are exactly certain things. And so I want us to look at these because these are crucial. Everything he builds from there on in the passage is based on those four things. So they're not unimportant. And so we want to look at what is he saying in regard to these four things. If there's any encouragement. If there's any encouragement. The word encouragement, parakaleo in the original. Paraclete. It's a word that's used of the Holy Spirit of God. That he is an encourager. That he's the one that Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakaleo. Another encourager. Another comforter, some translations translate. To be with you, the spirit of truth. In Romans 15, it says, everything that was written down in the scriptures... It says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Encouragement of the scriptures. So what is the purpose of the scriptures? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose of believers in Christ? The act, and that's a long word, emboldening, making somebody else bold in belief or in course of action. So you help somebody else become bold in what they believe and how they act, in what actions they take in life. There's sometimes we're afraid to take an action, and we need somebody to encourage us, go on, you can do it. Go ahead. Take that step. It's gonna be good for you. Don't let your fears hold you back. I mean, all those statements that we make to one another that makes us bold to take a step. There are times when we struggle with belief. God, are you there? God, do you care? God, are you working in my life? And you have somebody that comes alongside and says, it's going to be all right. How do you know it's going to be all right? Because I know who God is. It's going to be all right. He's all the things that we sang about. He's perfect. There's no one like him. He's power. Powerful. He's power itself. He's good. He gives good gifts to his children. He doesn't give a snake or a, when it asks for a loaf of bread. when I mean, you look at those different things that, that God is. He is love, and He loves you. He's not bringing hard things in your life because He hates you. Encouragement, emboldening another so that we take the steps that we are supposed to take. And notice what He says about that. He says, if there's any encouragement... Notice, what's that next phrase? If there's any encouragement, in Christ. If there's any encouragement, in Christ. So that that phrase, in Christ, is a crucial statement. It's not unimportant in Paul's mind. It's not a throwaway statement. A person is in Christ when they've believed on him. What does it mean when I'm in Christ? It means that I'm saved it means that I'm a child of God. It means that I have an inheritance, a forever inheritance that's reserved in heaven for me. It means that I, I have the spirit of God. There's a lot of things that happen, over 200 things that we have by being in Christ. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, I look at all these different aspects of my life. I'm declared not guilty When I'm in Christ, I'm guilty when I'm not in Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, John tells us in 1 John. And, And so you realize, when I believe on Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us, when I believe the gospel, that Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I put my faith in him, having believed, you're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's at that moment that I am in Christ. Ephesians one thirteen tells me. And so the encouragement comes for me when I'm in Christ. Encouragement from the scriptures. Encouragement from the spirit of God who is the parakaleo, the encourager that comes along. So that I believe God and at times whenever he seems veiled in darkness. He's not in darkness. But he seems so. And from my perspective at times... That I'm emboldened to take a course of action to say, God, this is what you've asked me to do and I don't see how this is going to do any good but I'm going to to do it because you've asked me to do it. And so I take an action. I call a person that I'm afraid to call or I go meet with somebody and I'm afraid to confront or I, I do those things and I get... And God gives me the boldness to speak. It's because I'm in Christ. So the first thing is encouragement by being in Christ. The second thing that uh, that we find, or the second phrase is, if there's any comfort. It says, any comfort from love in the ESV, from his love, the NIV says. So any comfort from his love. The word comfort, and I saw this in in a... Greek dictionary on the Greek word that's used here, to comfort verbally, is the idea. It's that verbal comfort that I come alongside and I put my arm on somebody's shoulder and I say, you know, God's going to do some neat things here. And you're like, I don't see it. I'm not, I'm struggling with it, whatever. God is working. God has not forgotten you. God is with you, In the Dark Valley, he says it in Psalm 23. In fact, this is a time when God's Word really becomes important. It's one of the most comforting things, and I would encourage you, if you've never memorized God's Word, begin to memorize it. When you struggle with something in your life, that's a time to find a verse. And when you find that verse that comforts you, memorize it. And then the next time something happens in somebody else's life, you can share it with them. And you'll find that there, you begin to develop over time this reservoir of verses that you don't just bring your own, hey, it's going to be okay. And they go, how? You say, God is with you in the times of darkness. He's proven it over and over. He says it in Psalm 23. He says it in Matthew 28. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says it in Hebrews 13. I will never leave you or ever forsake you. And you find comfort for your soul. At those times that you're struggling. And it's God's word that was intended to bring that kind of comfort. And to give you hope. To give us hope. God's word is powerful and it accomplishes what he says it will do. The third thing that we see. It says if any fellowship. Or any participation in the spirit. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about putting these things together. So what God wants from us is he wants to have a, a, a spiritual community. That's what this, this focus is. If there's any participation in the spirit. We think about community in our lives. Oh, you need community. Community. Yeah, you need community, but it needs to be a spiritual community. That's what God designed the church as, as a spiritual community that we are focused on the Spirit of God, that we're trusting in God to work in and through each one of us. And that His Spirit will touch our lives. And it's a spiritual community that is also, if you look at the next phrase, a caring community. It says, if any affection and sympathy... And so there's this idea that that this caring community, uh, and in fact, the uh, 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 fellowship, uh, going back to the fellowship, close association, mutual interest and sharing, communion and fellowship, but also spiritual. And then, if any tenderness and compassion, display of concern over another's misfortune. So it's a caring community. It's a spiritual community. It's one that is verbal, and it's designed is to help us to believe God and to act. And so you look at that and you think that's what he's talking about here is this caring spiritual community that speaks to one another the word of God and that trust in the spirit of God to work in and among us that we will act in the direction that he wants us to go and that we will believe God that we will do just what we said I will trust, I will trust, I will trust. That's a choice. You notice that in that song, I will trust. It doesn't say, oh, trust is just going to happen in my life. No, I will trust. I choose to trust even when things seem dark. I trust you because I know you're good, even though I can't see how it's working out in this life at this point. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are good. I'm going to trust that you have my best at heart. I'm going to trust that you are working uh, in me in a very special way. And so this, this humility idea defeats Isolation and it drives us to community. And when we're in community, we think spiritual, that I want to have a spiritual impact on those around me. It also defeats narcissism because I'm no longer thinking about myself. The very next verses uh, uh, say um, uh, in verse uh, three do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So it's not about me. When I look at the, the me meter, it's not pegging out on the me side, it's, it's moving closer toward the other side because I'm choosing not to have my ambition, not to have my agenda. It's real easy to go into a meeting thinking, I got this agenda and I want it to be accomplished. And I want everybody else to sign off on it so we kind of pressure people and then when they don't do it, then we get angry at them. And that can happen at work, it can happen at church, it can happen in so many different arenas. Because we have our own agenda and it's, it's not a spoken agenda and we expect everybody else to buy in instead of talking through it with the people that we're with and working together as a team and, and, and giving our idea. And there's times where I feel like i am laid my idea out there on the table. It's just this little precious thing that you think, this is my idea, I love this idea, and then you set it out there. And then everybody else at the table pulls out their meat cleavers and goes, bam, 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 and they hit the thing, and you're like, that was my idea. And, 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 and you feel like that you're the one on the table getting beat up and it's no that's not that's not you that's simply an idea that you throw out there and 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 then when you talk about it and work through it and you ask the lord for direction it becomes a way better idea than you could have ever imagined doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves You walk into a room and you're thinking about others' needs, not your own needs. You're focused on them. Max Lucado tells this story about how as he was pastoring his church in San Antonio, a seven-foot tall guy walks in the room. And everyone's attention, this is, uh, you know, before the service, but doesn't matter if everybody's standing, a seven-foot person walking in a room, even all standing, is going to stand out, right? It's David Robinson. He'd been a player for the San Antonio Spurs, and he, he walks in the room, and guess what happens to the room? It becomes alive with this buzz of activity, and people are getting their phones out, and they say, hey, can we get a picture together, and, and hey, can you sign this? And, and they're all, all about David Robinson, right? And then they get the service started and kind of the hubbub dies down a little bit and then, you know, he ends up leaving. And then the very next service of that same day, a homeless person walks in. Doesn't smell all that great. Doesn't look all that great. Sits down in the service. Nobody's taking a selfie with this guy. And Max Lucado was just thinking about the contrast between the two and then one of his elders got up and walks over and sits next to the homeless guy and puts his arm on his shoulder and 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 begins to talk to him before the service and and you think wow that's what it should be right and yet it's interesting that when we when we think about it, you think, well, the one is we all get all excited about it, and yet the reality is we're really thinking about ourselves, and our picture, we're not looking at David Robinson, we're looking at us with David, I'm, I'm with David Robinson, right? Or your favorite, you know, player, you put that in, the, and you just think, I'm with them, I'm getting my picture next to somebody famous. But then I think about how so many times, so many days, All of us walk in a room, and you may not know one another, and yet you never know what kind of impact that casual comment that you make, that thing that you share with someone else. When you're on your way to the next hero event, the next thing that you're going to do, grand thing that you're going to do, that that conversation that you had with that person that happened to be randomly with you or seemingly randomly with you, changes the course of their life because God uses it. I think about that and I think we need to, my hope is, is that today on the me meter, wherever you fit on that continuum, that you take a step toward others. And my application that I encourage you to take is when you walk through every door frame, Think about that God has somebody there on the other side for you to minister to them and ask yourself the question, what can I give to that person? Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you have placed people in our lives, people that you want us to minister to and we, we think about those who minister to us but you have people that you want us you have a divine appointment that you want us to make an impact on their life. And it can be life changing. It can be something that completely changes the course and direction of their lives. And it's somebody that most likely somebody's been praying for. They've been praying that they would grow in Christ or that their marriage would make it or that, that they would they would. Grow in a way that helps them to understand who you are. That they would come to faith in Jesus. Father, you want to use the likes of us. Help us to be willing. Help us not only to be willing vessels, but those who would take the initiative with boldness to verbalize comfort found in your word and in the spirit to embolden faith and action. Help us, Lord, as we grow in our understanding of how to go about that. Help us to change the me meter and that we're not as self-focused as when we came in here today. Help us to forever be different, if even by a little bit. Help us to be those when we walk through a door that we're thinking of others on the other side and not about our own inadequacies, our own self-awareness. Help us, Lord, to grow to become more like Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.